0: and then see if you can help us get some more students for next year. We are still accepting students for the fall. Uh, our speaker this morning is my friend Jason Kaliba. Jason graduated from here. He and his wife, Cindy, both graduated from here in 97, got married. He went on and finished a master's degree at Regent College in Vancouver. Tremendous guy. Spent twenty-seven, year, no, 21 years at Cochrane Alliance. And just this year, in the middle of covid I understand you can travel in COVID too. He went to Vernon, BC and and stayed there. He's now the senior pastor there and leading a team of 14 in Vernon, BC. So if you're driving through on a Sunday and looking for a good church to go to, stop in at Vernon Alliance and visit our friend Jason and his wife, Cindy. Ah, yes, that's the other thing. I was trying to figure out what was the other thing I was going to say. And he's a very good friend of Nathan Rook. So Nathan, if you're online, greetings to you from Jason. And Jason, greetings to you from Nathan. Let me uh, close and open in prayer. And then um, we also have a very special thing at the very end. My Uncle Paul, a very much loved and former president of Prairie, is going to be closing in prayer for you as students and grads. And I'm so happy to have all of us together for this graduation. Not just the grads are gonna hear this, all of us together, staff, students, and and faculty. Let me pray. Our Father, we thank you for this time. I thank you for this year. Thank you for the blessing you have been to us in our work. We thank you for the work that you have given us and the, the blessing that our work will be, especially as we leave here to go to different places that we will call home either through the summer or for the next several years. So bless us, we pray, Father, with your Holy Spirit. Allow us to hear from you through the words of your servant, Jason Kaliba. And we do this all in the great name of Jesus. Amen.
1: Well, good morning, everyone. It is uh, truly an honor to address the Prairie community today. I'm actually setting a personal record right now for my longest ever lead up to a speaking engagement. In 2019, Mark asked me to consider speaking to grads in April 2020, and now here we are at the end of April 2021. Mark said that there was a good reason for all the postponements, Uh, but uh, as I think about it right now, I can't recall exactly what that reason is. Uh, In all seriousness, uh, let me start with a big congratulations to those of you in the classes of 2020 and 2021. I trust that you are finding some ways to mark this milestone with some of the people that you love. My heart goes out to you as um, the usual ways of celebrating achievements uh, continues to be handicapped. There have been many moments in the past 14 months where I feel like I am living in an episode of the Twilight Zone. Part of my vocation is to support widows. Brides and grooms, graduates, graduates, those uh, retiring from jobs after years of service. And unfortunately, the social rituals, which usually help us grieve or celebrate or honor or reflect, most of the, those just don't seem to work very well right now. And I'm not actually sure what to do with that or how that will shape us in the days to come. Whatever the case, I am confident that Jesus will remain true to his character as he always has. And what he has always done is take circumstances that his enemy intended for evil and instead use them for good. So, graduates, students, Faculty and staff, friends of Prairie, this morning, I would like to address an obstacle that I think could potentially keep you from collaborating with Jesus as he executes his plan to make all things new. And the obstacle of which I speak is fear. When I graduated from Prairie in 1997, I am pretty sure that I would not have identified fear as a growth edge in my life. Perhaps it is a symptom that presents more obviously as one ages. I think this is because typically as you advance in your life, you tend to accumulate stuff, possessions, family, Career, reputation. What did I have when I was 21 years old? I had a 1984 Chrysler LeBaron. I had no money. I had no family of my own. And I hadn't really invested my life in anything or anyone except myself. More than 20 years later, times have changed for me. I own much more. I have accumulated assets worth hundreds of thousands of dollars. I've made consequential commitments to my wife. I have four children. I've invested almost all my life since my early twenties to the health and ministry to the church. Now I have something to lose. What happens to me now happens to my wife and kids. What if I lose the stuff that I've spent the last 20 years accumulating? What if I make a wrong turn in my leadership? There are a lot of people that I care for in my church. What if I disappoint or offend them? And I am afraid more often than I would like to admit. I'm adverse to risk. I don't say what needs to be said because I'm scared I will be rejected. And I fear that I will fail. Grads, I know that those of you at the front end of your life are sometimes disappointed when you see leadership ahead of you that is fearful and protective. And I think you could be right in your disappointment with us. And I would argue that we, that is leaders ahead of you by a generation or a half a generation, whatever it might be, we should be challenged if our leadership and our behavior is motivated by fear and self-protection. However, I would say challenge us with as much kindness as God would give you. Because you are not immune to fear. It could be that the reason you don't experience fear yet is because you just don't have much to lose. Many of you will recall this famous exchange in The Empire Strikes Back. Luke to Master Yoda, I'm not afraid. Master Yoda to Luke, you will be, you will be. Fear is doing incredible damage in our society. We have become obsessed with safety. And I commend to you an excellent book from a few years back. It's called Following Jesus in a Culture of Fear by Scott Bader Say. He argues that because we are fearful, we have come to idolize safety. And in order to stay safe, we adopt patterns of thinking and behavior that are problematic for Jesus' followers. And he suggests that there are three virtues that are revered in a safety culture such as ours. The first is suspicion, stranger danger. We teach our kids that people you don't know are dangerous, Which of course has some wisdom, right? I don't want my kids running off with any person who claims to be their friend. However, do I really want to condition the next generation this way? Is it true that the first thing you should think of when you meet someone different is danger, threat? And let's not cop out with the claim that it is only the world that is suspicious, Christians are not immune to suspicion. In fact, we may be the first to embrace it. People we don't know who are different than us are dangerous. If they have a different religion, if they speak a different language, if they don't look like me, if they don't share my moral and ethical convictions, well, they might take my stuff. They may limit my freedom. They are a threat to my security. Danger. Friends, if we embrace suspicion, how will we obey Jesus when he says, for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Another strategy we use to stay safe, and that is preemption. I am fearful that you might hurt me, so I will launch a preemptive strike. I will do unto others before they do to me. I will break up with you before you break up with me. If you think it's okay to protect yourself by lashing out at people before they can hurt you, then how will you be able to obey Jesus when he says, Love your enemies. And pray for those who persecute you. The third fear fighting strategy we have adopted is accumulation. I fear what might happen in my future. I might get sick. I might lose my job. I may lack the capacity to earn money. So to be safe, I had better stockpile. I have to accumulate now so I can protect myself and stave off my fear of calamity in the future. And of course, there is some wisdom to this. I would advocate for disciplined savings, life insurance to provide for your family in the case of a tragedy, developing a retirement savings plan. But taken too far, our fear of the future, our fear of a disaster, an accident, a sickness, our own aging could mean that we won't act with generosity and spontaneity now. I can't help others now because I need a safety net later. Friends, if we adopt the strategy of accumulation, how will we follow Jesus when he says, sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, There, your heart will be also. Bottom line fear will prevent us from experiencing the joy of following Jesus. Fear will keep you and I from meeting the greatest needs of the world. A couple years ago, I had a conversation. In Cambodia with one of the shining lights of our denomination, the Christian Missionary Alliance, a widow by the name of Marie Enns lives there. She is now well into her 80s and she continues to run an orphanage outside Phnom Penh. She told us the story of how she and her husband felt called by God in the late 60s to serve the people of Cambodia. These were the days of the Vietnam War and incredible turmoil in all of Southeast Asia. As they were getting ready to go, they attended a conference in the U.S. for Alliance missionaries. And at the conference, there was this ceremony that was traditional back then where someone read the names of previous generations of international workers who had died on the mission field. And as those names were being read, a profound thought came to Maria. She sat in her spot and she thought to herself, the next time they do this, our names will be on the list. Now, you may think that Marie is exaggerating, but listen to Jesus one more time. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. Marie told me and my family, You cannot serve God effectively if you fear people and what they may do to you. And she is right. Unfortunately, many of you have been raised in a culture, even a Christian culture, that nurtures fear. Graduates, I pass on to you, The words of the living Christ. Do not be afraid. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, Jesus says I have overcome the world. Jesus is an expert at taking young, inexperienced, scared men and women and developing them into people who meet the needs of the world. Let me read to you a story which I know is well known to many of you, but uh, it's worth recounting. Again, this comes from Mark chapter 4. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and waves obey him. How does the experience of the disciples on the lake that evening touch us and our fears today? First, I would say, Expect Jesus to lead you into direct encounters with your fear. Stated conversely, if you think that following Jesus means that he will help you avoid what you fear, think again. Verse 35, let me read it one more time. When evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Did you hear that? Whose idea was it to go out on the lake in the first place? Well, it was Jesus' idea. Come on, Jesus. These are experienced sailors here, a lot of fishermen in the group, so they know a thing or two about wind and waves. And if you knew, Jesus, that there was going to be such a big storm that even they were going to freak out, why not set up a campfire on the shore for a few hours and hang out until the thing blows over. That would be the safe thing to do, but that's not his way. Let's consider for a moment, perhaps the most comforting biblical passage of all time. Psalm 23, I'm going to quote it from the King James version as I learned it when I grow up, and I'm sure you've heard it a million times before. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd I shall not want. He maketh me lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, he found a shortcut around the valley of the shadow of death. What is wrong with my paraphrase? That's not how it goes, right? Right? Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. What in the world? Why are we here? I thought the good shepherd was leading. Why would the good shepherd lead me into that valley? Why, would he tell me not, why wouldn't he tell me instead to head out into the lake? Some are calm. I've told you that I fear losing the approval of people. So it would make sense to me if my good shepherd would appoint me the vocation of ice cream man, right? That way I give everybody nice cold snacks on a warm day and everybody goes away happy. And yet, lo and behold, God has called me into a vocation where it is impossible to please everybody all the time. And I assure you that it is so painful and I can hear my own voice in the words of the disciples. Jesus, don't you care if I drown? Don't you care if I do this or say this or make the decision you want me to make? Don't you care that they won't like me anymore? And yet I get the distinct sense that Jesus is leading me right into the valley. Now, granted, shadow of death is a little bit melodramatic, but it sure feels like that sometimes. Why? Why would Jesus tell us to go out into a stormy lake when he knows that a big thing is coming down the valley? Well, it's because his primary objective is not to keep us safe. He didn't die on the cross to make us comfortable. He intends to shape us into his own image, to send us back into the world from which he has called us. And to do that, he must bring us into contact with our own fear. Here's something from my favorite missiologist, Alan Hirsch. Good observation about what he sees in the pages of Scripture. It shouldn't be considered remarkable to note that the vast majority of the Bible was written by people facing significant danger and chaos. The Old Testament deals with Israel under threat, under attack, under exile, under condemnation. It features war, oppression, famine, flood, and the rise of empires. And the New Testament is written in the context of the lifestyle of adventurer missionaries, Peter and Paul and their companions. Indeed, very little scripture is written from the context of stability and security. This is not to say her says that there weren't times of relative stability but it is a curious fact that such situations that in such situations Israel and the church were not at their best stability proves to be a far more dangerous experience to the spirituality and faithfulness of God's people So expect Jesus to lead you into direct encounters with your fear. But don't despair. You don't have to face that alone. Remember that Jesus is in the boat with you. Verse 36. Leaving the crowd behind them, they took him along just as he was in the boat. Yes, the disciples got a D-minus in their faith test that day, but the bottom line was they weren't alone. In the boat was someone who cared and someone who had the power to overcome the threat. Let's go back to Psalm 23 for a moment. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For thou... Art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. And the metaphor here is a shepherd who is in the avalanche shoot with us. In Mark 4, the shepherd is literally in the boat with the disciples. Graduates, Jesus is in the boat with us. Why are you so afraid? Have you no faith? Translation, I'm right here. Jesus says, don't you trust me? Friends, do you believe that Jesus is a good shepherd? Can he protect you in the shadowiest of all shadows? Is he capable of calming the stormiest of all seeds? Steve Brown, president of Arrow Leadership here in Canada, has said spiritual courage isn't about completely eliminating feelings of fear. Instead, spiritual courage is, by God's grace, choosing to trust and obey God in the face of fear. He's in the boat, so trust him. So in review... How does the experience of the disciples on the lake, how does that experience touch us and our fears today? Well, first, expect Jesus to lead us into direct encounters with our fears. Secondly, remember that he is in the boat with us. And finally, answer this question, who is this man? Imagine uh, if we could actually be in the chapel together this morning. And imagine at the same time that a tornado touched down north of Three Hills. Perhaps it started at Golden Acres Honey, and it begins, as I'm talking, making its way south towards the campus and it totally blows apart the athletic center and comes across to where we are seated. And the windows are exploding, exploding the, the roof is blowing off and everybody is screaming and running for cover. And what if, imagine with me, what if in the midst of that tornado, Glenn Lowen stood on the platform, looked sternly at the tornado and yelled, settle down. Imagine that as soon as he said that, the tornado disappeared, the clouds withdrew, and sunshine began pouring through the hole in the roof. Once we uh, pulled ourselves together, we would have to come to some kind of conclusion about Glenn, right? Right. First, maybe he is a friend of David Copperfield's and the whole thing was an elaborate hoax. He used some kind of special machine to control the weather. It was an optical illusion or else he put some kind of weird drug in our coffee in the morning. Secondly, we could come to the conclusion that Glenn actually has led a secret life and maybe there was some sort of magic he was practicing that caused him to have this power. The third conclusion would be that Glenn is special and that for one reason or another, God had given him special powers over nature. Whatever your conclusion, the tornado would force all of us to answer this question, who is this guy? Which is precisely the same question the disciples were asking themselves After Jesus calmed the storm, who is this man? Even the wind and the waves obey him. For them, there was only one logical conclusion to a person with this kind of power because they had read their Old Testaments and they knew that the only person in the universe who has power to still roaring waves and wind is God. So when they looked at the water and looked back at Jesus, they were overcome with a new kind of terror. Who's in the boat with us? And what could he do to us? Which is sort of an ironic twist, isn't it? As someone else has said, the only thing more frightening than being in a small boat in the middle of a big storm is being in a small boat with a man who shouts at big storms and succeeds. Who is this man? Friends, graduates, I believe that your answer to this question profoundly impacts the degree to which your fear will control you. Your answer will have a direct bearing on whether you are able to meet the needs of the world in Jesus' name. Who is he? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you, for you are with me. Who? Who is with me? Who is the good shepherd? Is he a good teacher? Is he a historical figure who set a good example for us and showed us how to love? Is he a composite character developed over the centuries to help people find courage in their own hearts? Is he someone my parents believe in? If that's who he is, then who really cares that he's in the boat? If that's who Jesus is, I'm on my own. He becomes some kind of religious Oprah Winfrey metaphor for finding strength within myself. But if Jesus is who the disciples came to believe he was, the Christ, the son of the living God, the one by whom all things were created and in whom all things hold together, the one who says quiet and the laws of physics respond, one who has defeated death and promised to do the same for me. Well, if that's who's in my boat, then it doesn't matter how crazy this storm is going to get. I don't have to get suspicious or preemptive because I'm going to be okay. You're going to be okay. So what do you say? Who is this man? Your answer makes all the difference. So graduates... May the good shepherd, the calmer of storms, may he guide, sustain, and be present with you in the midst of whatever lies ahead. Open pasture, clear running water, and even valleys of deep shadow and lakes with desperate storms. May God bless you today.
0: Thank you, Jason. We feel your love, we love you back, and we're grateful for you. And I look forward to seeing you sometime on my drive through that beautiful province of BC. It's a delight to introduce you to my Uncle Paul. Um, If only because this is a man who really knows how to pray. Um, It's also true that he... Uh, loves this school. He loves each of us to whatever degree he knows us and he prays for us every day. And so I thought it would be a great thing to have him close this service in prayer and then I'll do a small benediction, a little couple of comments at the very end, but they're very brief. My cousin Rick, I want to just say thank you, Rick, for being there with with your dad uh, and my Uncle Paul. Here's my Uncle Paul. I
2: just want to thank you for Mark and Elaine and the tremendous job they've done over these years. And then also for the faithful faculty and staff and for your leading these grads here to train, to make you known in a lost world. So we believe that they've grown in grace and in the knowledge of Jesus and We pray that you will uh, bless in relation to the uh, preparation they have made in specific future, for specific future ministries, Lord. And so we just call on you to guide each grad, Lord, into the uh, place that you have prepared for them to minister for you in leading men and women to know you Lord and to and win others to Christ and help them grow in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. So Lord bless each one of these grads in the we pray in the Nomri day, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ.
0: Amen. Thank you Paul. Amen. Thank you Paul. I want to close just with this benediction. It was the instruction that God gave Moses, who gave it to Aaron, and he said, in this way, put my name on the people. It's from Numbers chapter 6. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace.